Hey, the world's full of fantastic music. Each month, we explore an album of significance, its roots, how it makes us feel, and then banter about its influence and staying power. Join us on our journey as we dissect, discuss, and discover some of the world's greatest albums on The Sonic Collective. Hello, everybody in Musicland. This month on the Sonic Collective, we're doing something a little different. Four bands people love to hate. We thought of those bands that uh, are pretty commonly noted as being crap or people really shit on. We each took one of those bands to summarize and then we all listened to them over the last month and today we're going to weigh in on where we sit. So why don't you tell us some more about this, Darren? Uh, yeah, uh, I mean, we each picked a band. So um, one I've always struggled with that I wanted to take for this was the Dave Matthews Band. Now, uh, I mean, they were formed in Charlottesville, Virginia, 1991 um, by Dave Matthews, obviously. Um, but really uh, super successful and really kind of that folky. He's got lots of instruments in it, lots of violins and uh, production. It's really, you know, highly produced. And I mean... I'm not going to fault it for music. I think uh, obviously super talented musicians and amazing people. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I just struggle with it. But from 2000 to 2010, the band sold more tickets and earned more money than any other act in North America. So that's saying something there. They really own the 2000s. Um, the album Away From The World made them the only group to have six consecutive studio albums de debut at number one in the Billboard charts. Um, they have 91 million albums sold, uh, Crash being their, their best one. Um, and they, they were nominated to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, did not win, uh, but even though they got the most popular votes. Um, so obviously there's a lot, a lot of love. But at the same time, and I'm not alone, um, people did not really necessarily like the Dave Matthews Band for whatever reasons. Um, so I have my feelings and opinions, but... I like to, let's start and throw it around to each other and then I'll go last and we can do that for each other. So, uh, Scott Gregory, what's your uh, thoughts on uh, Dave Matthews Band? Yeah, Dave Matthews Band. I, I actually like them and I don't know if that's, you know, uh, affirmation of them or like an impugning of me. I, uh, I really liked Crash and just the melodic nature of his voice. The, uh, instrumentation involved it just hits that nice little collegey vibe that I was in right when they came out so I've never really understood the hate and I'm really interested uh, to see what sucks. you did on well there you go see mystery <laughs> solved that, that's very similar to my Nickelback take no, I'm just actually I'm just so kidding. so I, I'm very no. curious as to your deeper dive on that too uh, what about you Alan you know, I'm uh, I'm with you, Scotty. I I don't understand what there is to hate about Dave Matthews Band. Um, I didn't mind it. You know, I I've heard a few of their songs, but it wasn't until we decided to go on this little journey that I kind of ventured deeper into their discography. And like, I kind of found myself enjoying it. You know, um, particularly their '94 album, Under the Table and Dreaming. I I, I don't know. There, there was a lot of redeeming factors. I think like. For example, 
it's not just the typical drums, guitar, bass, vocals thing. Like they actually incorporate a ton of different instruments into their music. They experiment with weird different time signatures. There's different moods, different tempos. It's not, it doesn't, like every track doesn't sound the same. And despite doing all this weird, unconventional shit, they managed to kind of keep it relatable and still accessible. So it's not like super prog, you know, like tough for the average person to, to pick up on. So I don't know. I mean, I didn't hate it. I really didn't. Some of their songs either ran too long or like they droned on. And Dave's voice can kind of become grating after a while, similar to like the same concerns we had with Matt Bellamy of uh, Muse when we did that review a few years back and it'll probably come up again when we talk about some of these other bands. Um, I don't know. I, I think the thing I disliked the most about them was the fact that some songs sounded like they were just noodling a bit. It was like they were a, they were just recording a jam session rather than like a fully baked song. And I'm not speaking so much in terms of like the quality of the recording or whatever, but just like where are they going with this track? It just sounds weird. It's just like all over the place. So I don't know. It's it's definitely not my jam for 90% of the time, but I don't know why anyone would feel passionate about this band either way, or like one way or the other. They're, they're proficient. They make good tunes, some of which are really catchy, and they're pretty unique. I don't know what's to hate about them. <laughs> Is that So if someone asked you, what do you think of Dave Matthews? You'd probably say, I don't think about them at all. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, oh, you know, I like that one song. Like, yeah, Dave Matthews, they're fine. If someone was like, hey, dude, I have tickets to Dave Matthews. Do you want to go? And I'd be like. I don't know who else is who's opening, you know. <laughs> how how close is there, are they playing? Do I have to drive more than 20 minutes? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like is it on a Tuesday or <laughs> Scott Coates? What do you think? Yeah, I'm with both of you guys on Dave Matthews band. I don't quite get the hate. I mean, these are real musicians and I don't think anyone could argue that they're anything but extremely talented. And I've I watched concerts for a lot of these bands or listened to concerts as well on YouTube as I worked. And I, I mean, they're neat, right? They're very talented. The songs get a bit long. I did grow up listening to the Crash album when it came out and I listened to that over and over and over and over and really liked it. Um, they apparently were the highest grossing touring band in the 2000s, like mega successful. And their fans are almost Grateful Dead level following, like people will go to many of their shows. I do find that I think I like them for about 20 minutes max. And then it just starts to get a little irritating. I start to feel a little fidgety and anxious. It just becomes a bit too much. Kind of like you said, Alan, like I like a handful of the songs. And then, yeah, it's kind of like almost that obscure jazz where someone goes on for 15 minutes and you don't quite know where it's going. Almost like they're trying a bit too hard. I like flute, but I think when bands rely on it a bit much, they can come off as a bit pretentious. So once in a while when I'd hear the flute solo, I'd be like, ooh, yeah, I'm kind of feeling time to turn this off. But I don't get the high levels of hate on it and overall have a great appreciation for them as musicians. How about you, Darren? Yeah, I realize I'm the one that basically came across and said that I didn't like them, and I still don't. Um, okay, asterisk. Again, I, I understand they're amazing musicians. I, I started by listening to just a best of, you know, Spotify just does that, like plays the top 10 songs. Fine. Loved it. Like I like Crash. I like Space Between. I like Ants Marching. Good, good tracks. Great tracks. But then I went back and listened to like 
like the albums completely, like uh, three or four of them, like, and just between the tracks, it's just like fucking meandering bullshit. Like it was just like, okay, white people, like, and you know, and Alan mentioned on the, the time signatures and you know, I can appreciate and get into some of that, but you know what it seems like to me? It's just like, how the, f- what the fuck do you do to this music? It's just like, and that guy like, st- stop fucking filling in every fucking second drum hit. Like what the fuck? Like, it was just too much. It, it just, I don't know. It reminded me when I was a kid, I remember my friend's mom like loved Bruce Hornsby and I like Bruce Hornsby in the Reigns, but I realized my fucking friend's mom likes Bruce Hornsby in the Reigns. And that's Dave Matthews. This is like the whitest <laughs> band in the fucking world, even though I guess half the musicians are kind of black, so I shouldn't say that. But um, I, I don't know. I, I just didn't like the rhythms. I, 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 I just don't think, I think that some of the songs are fantastic, but those filler ones and the slow ones just kill me. And if you remember, even going back, it's a kind of a personal opinion, and I'll get into that later in a summary. I, I have some thoughts on why people just dislike bands in general. I mean, a lot of it's personal opinion. I just usually don't like slower stuff, like the Almond Brothers and Meandering. Um, we, we did Almond Brothers uh, live at Fillmore, I believe we rated that one a, a year or two ago, and even though an amazing album as well, I just fucking hated it because it's just like, God, you just like shut up, fucking you're just meandering all over this place. And it's funny because I like similar artists. Like yeah, we, we interviewed Will Mimna, a Canadian guy that's uh, similar style-ish or Michael Bernard Fitzgerald, Gerald, another local Canadian guy, um, Jack Johnson, other artists like that who I know they're friends um, and I like them. So I, I, I don't know what it is about uh, Dave Matthews, but I just struggle with the slow meandering. Um, I did like the, f- the, the, the fiddle, uh, and I like some of the elements of it, but yeah, I just, no. And for me, I, I just think, I can see why people don't like it. It's just like, yeah, there's some hits, but the voice gets on you after a while, and the slow just meandering in between. I'm sure it's great, way better live, um, but just wasn't for me. Um, but yeah, so, you know, we, we kind of have a little system here of how we're going to uh, uh, talk about this. And I mean, it's, it's ranking the scores and basically how we started and then after listening. So uh, I'll start it off and then kick it. But, you know, I started kind of with Dave Matthews uh, at a two out of five. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll give it credit. I, I had to suck it up here and listen a little bit more. And after listening and I realized like when I did listen to 10 songs in a row and liked all the hits, I'm like, OK, it's better. So I've gone up to about a three, but I've just outlined what I liked and, and disliked. Uh, but, you know, that's kind of where. So I went up one point on him, but that's about it. Uh, Scott Gregory, back to you on that. Yeah, I think I started out at a three. You know, Ants Marching is one of my favorite songs ever. Uh, you know, back to what Alan said, there is some variety. Even on the album he was talking about, Under the Table, the difference between Satellite and What Would You Say? It's just really different, but the voice is the same. And I think that'll be a criticism that I give of a lot of the bands that we chose, is that their voices are a little niche they're you know a little gimmicky on some ways like ultra unique but there isn't a lot that they do outside of that it's a very narrow range that they take themselves through and that would be my biggest criticism of dave matthews as well is that once you get out of the idea that you only have one or two of him sitting on a playlist and now you're listening to an entire album of him back to back including b-sides uh it's not a great place to be but because I do like the single so much and I'm not ever going to be forced to listen to an entire album of Dave Matthews, I'm going to hold at three and just keep them across the board. I don't hate him, but once again, if someone asked me, what do you think of Dave Matthews? I would probably say, I don't. <laughs> nice. Uh, Alan? Yeah, okay. So, uh, much the same as Scott. I kind of started 
at like a three out of five for Dave Matthews. Um, I knew like Darren, you mentioned Spotify is sort of like most most played or whatever. Those are the Dave Matthews tracks I knew. Um, and I liked those tracks. So it was interesting diving in. Um, started at a three out of five and I ended up at actually a four and a half out of five. I really did enjoy listening to that music. Um, and Scott, you mentioned the song, What Would You Say, which actually in my notes here I wrote was kind of the standout track for me on that Under the Table album. But I mean, I really liked the album from 2001 called Every Day as well. And Crash is good. Like, I don't know. I, I don't get the hate. <laughs> I actually came out of this liking Dave Matthews a lot more. So mm -hmm. uh, good job, Dave Matthews band. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Scott Coates. I came in at about a three, mostly because of my Crash album memories. Like I really listened to that album a lot when it came out. And I kind of came down half a point. So I kind of went from three to 2.5 on it. And I just found... There, you it was, ended up lower than I did. Yeah, so I kind of <laughs> I went from a three, like thinking like, oh yeah, I'd throw a Dave Matthews band on while I cook dinner or something. But in the end, I just, like I said, I found about 20 minutes. I just started to feel fidgety and a little bit irritated. So I go from a three to a 2.5. And I thought about these albums. When would I play this album? And I said at a backyard, backyard wine event in an afternoon if my wife was having friends over. She doesn't even know them, but if there was a, a group of middle-aged women coming over to drink wine and eat cheese in a backyard on an afternoon in the summer, I think this is when I would play that. 100%, man. It's like great background noise. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's funny. I think I just ranked you know, a little bit. Just respect for the, the artistry and the musician. Mm. I, understand, I understand how good they are. All right, well, that, that's kind of it for uh, Dave Matthews a bit. I mean, we'll summarize that at the end, but uh, uh, how about I'll throw it over to Alan with, uh, yeah, you chose, uh, who did you choose? I chose Limp Biscuit. Limp Biscuit is another one of those bands that people seem to love to hate. Um, they were formed back in 1994 in Jacksonville, Florida. I'm sure there's a lot of Florida man jokes that write themselves here with this band. Uh, Limp Biscuit kind of actually led the charge of new metal bands back in the late 90s and early 2000s. Um, they were, they kind of came up alongside contemporaries like Korn and Slipknot and Linkin Park. And the Biscuit was pretty notable for blending rap and hard rock elements. Um, they kind of, they, a lot of times their lyrics featured sort of, their, their lyrics are juvenile and angsty. You know, they feature the kind of language that would make mothers everywhere blush. It's not really uh, any wonder that the band mostly appealed to disaffected youth who were into skate culture and hip-hop culture and stuff. Um, they've been around for like 27 years now. The, the lineup's been the same for the most part. Fred Durst is the, the front man. He's boisterous. He's known for wearing his signature red baseball cap. He's got this sort of like, look at me, attention-seeking behavior. And like people, people just know who Fred Durst is. Uh, for better or worse, he kind of like represents the band. And then you've got the other guy is Wes Borland, who is just an underrated guitarist. Um, he wears weird makeup on stage. You got Sam Rivers, who's like an excellent bassist. John Otto, who's a former jazz drummer of all things, and now he keeps time for the band. And then DJ Lethal, who used to be a member of House of Pain, uh, if you remember that group. They had that one hit called Jump Around. He uh, he covers the turntables. Anyway, uh, that is the Limp Biscuit lineup. 
they have been around since forever. Uh, the first album came out in 1997, I believe. That was $3 Bill Y'all. But since then, they've had uh, a number of other albums. I think their, their top-selling album was Chocolate Starfish and the Hot Dog Flavored Water, which was released in 2000, sold sold like 8 million copies just in the US alone and went six times platinum. Significant Other was another notable uh, release from them. So yeah, they've, they've got a massive discography. And if you were paying attention back between like 99 and 2003, I would say, Limp Bizkit was pretty inescapable. So um, let's throw that over to Scott Coates. I'm curious what your take on Limp Bizkit is. Yeah, out of the new metal bands at the time, they're probably the only ones I actually like. There was none of those kind of new metal bands that I listened to at the time. And I will say I listened to all, you know, those Limp Bizkit songs when they were out and popular, more the singles. But I'm sure I listened to, you know, Chocolate Starfish and their other album front to back a few times. And, you know, there's a half a dozen songs that'll still get on playlists. And I think there's no denying that they brought probably did the best job of combining that sort of rapper angry guitar and a dj mix that so many bands went for and they're the only ones that kind of managed to pull it off and and they've stayed pretty darn relevant they seem to be able to over the years just get back together whenever they want and you know sell out twenty thousand seats somewhere so i think the sound of that era didn't age well but theirs has aged pretty well like there's no design there's no denying that songs like Take a Look Around, My Way, Nookie, like those are impossible not to get pumped up when you listen to. So I, I do like them for when you want a bit of energy. The other side is what I dislike, I guess, is exactly what they are. And that's the, the, the anger is good to like, you know, hammer down, you know, a mountain bike trail or that final sprint or pushing yourself to finish the run or something. But I would say for a whole album, like I just don't, have that much anger and at a certain point you know like i don't have any grievances like hey fuck you you've trampled on me you've held me back so like it's a one trick pony theme right it's all about being upset because you came from a middle class family and you don't have a a new porsche rather than a, a nissan or something so to me it gets a little weak after a while but for 20 minutes and and for pump up at a certain point in my day I think they nail what they're trying to be. So I don't quite get the hate. And in fact, they've stayed pretty, pretty darn relevant. And including the Lollapalooza show just a few weeks ago, like they are who they are, but uh, they've done it pretty well for a long time. Nice. Uh, Darren, what do you think of Lib Biscuit? Yeah, I, um, yeah, actually, I echo a lot of what Scott said, to be honest. Um, I, I'm, I'm a fan. I, I was always a fan of Limp Bizkit. I, I didn't actually have a problem with them. Although I do I do understand. And I, I again, I looked at all the bands and summarized at the end where I think the hate happens. Um, I will say this, though. I think they are probably the band that the songs sound the most similar. Um, maybe you can argue with me on Nickelback or Creed maybe, but I don't know. I think Limp Bizkit, they, they do. Um, really from Roland to Nookie to My Way to the cover of Faith or Break Stuff. Uh, you know, it's, you could be like, you could put it on and go, wait, which one is it? Like, it could take a second. I mean, fans would know instantly, but they, they are pretty close. And it is, I don't want to say the one-trick pony because they're really, really good at it. Um, and I like them. And, and the first thing I wrote is fun as fuck. I, I think this band is fun as hell. Um, and I also echo, uh, Scott mentioned, uh, like, 
basically their kind of penetration into the hip hop scene. I think they're undercredited for what their contribution was to kind of hip hop and that that kind of push. I think probably because Rage Against the Machine got out just a little bit ahead of them and kind of stole that thunder and then everything else just became derivative of Rage Against the Machine, which, you know, maybe they're, you know, I don't think they're guilty of it because they're pretty contemporary, but, um, you know, maybe didn't have the political stance and the power and the voice that Rage has. But uh, at the same time, uh, how they combined this kind of, you know, post-grunge, punk, rock, hard rock, metal with rap is 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 well done fucking well done dj lethal i think does an awesome job um and when you said the drummer did you say joel otto like for the ex calgary flame because it is john otto john maybe otto. i oh you said john okay i thought i might have heard joel and like and that's funny easy mistake for those of us from calgary who knows who joel otto is um anyway uh yeah limp biscuit uh you know um yeah, I just I I think that they are underrated band sometimes, and yeah, they're a little bit similar in a lot of ways, but fun as hell, and I I, I have no problems with them, and uh, I guess I can just see this maybe they're overplayed or you know Fred Durst is a little uh, in your face, but yeah, I don't know uh, Scott Gregory, what do you think? I think that uh, significant other followed by chocolate starfish and the hot dog flavored water is probably one of the best back-to-back album releases ever done in the history of music. And the fact that they had such strong singles off of all of those albums dominating the airwaves for like 30 to 40 months consecutively is probably what earned them a little bit of hate from everyone. So. Uh, you can garner from that that I don't really have a problem with them other than maybe I too heard them uh, a little bit, you know. Uh, I think Scott, both you and Scott touched on something and it was something that came up in Nickelback as well too, that new metal, uh, people that had to follow grunge, that had to follow uh, new metal, there's a real stress on authenticity in both of those genres. And when you have a band that comes out that has a front band like Fred Durst, and it's just obviously so artificial, like there's a lack of, without going deep into it, there is credibility and authenticity issues there, right? There's the, I, I'm some white kid from the suburbs and I'm mad because I have nothing to be mad about, right? So this music, this is my- My anthem. way or the highway. Yeah, and- um, and I feel that, you know, I those are my people singing to me there. But uh, to Scott's point, the intensity of it all does get to you. When I look back at my at the count on the songs that I've played the most from them, it's actually rearranged, which is really uh, the vast majority of the song is really low tempo. And, you know, compared to anything else that they do, minus the really big, you know, uh, breakdown at the end there so even me when I like them I'm still try- listening to the softer side of what they do right so I, I can see all the reasons there's a lot of overlap be- behind why people will hate Nickelback and why people hate Limp Biscuit. so uh, it isn't a surprise to me that others hate them but I don't I don't feel that at all so I guess that's back, back to, to you Scott. yeah so uh, start that's with your it. scores there Scott Oh, I haven't. I haven't. Or uh, oh, sorry, Alan. My bad. <laughs> Scott, you uh, you mentioned authenticity when it comes to that genre, and I, I never thought about it that way. But you're right. I did actually write down on my notes here that I think one of the things that it's a double-edged sword for Limp Bizkit is the fact that Fred Durst is he's polarizing. He's a polarizing character, 
and he's self-aware about it, but he lacks that cred, uh, the authenticity that you mentioned. Like, you know, everyone, okay, we get it, dude. You're bald. Like, just take off your fucking hat. And for the longest time, he refused to do it. You know, he's like this kind of, like, goofy white guy who, I don't know, he just, I don't know. Fred Durst. Fred Durst, I think, is is the Achilles heel for Limp Bizkit, as well as, like, a strength in a weird way. Um, because while he maybe takes away from the credibility, he's also brilliant. He's a brilliant marketer. Uh, he's got incredible vision. And I think over the years, it, it it's kind of obvious. It's self-evident, right? Because like you guys have all kind of mentioned, their music still holds up. Whereas the new metal sound in general, like it's, it's dated to a lot of people at this point. However, that being said, new metal is actually enjoying a bit of a resurgence. It's sort of underground right now, but like a lot of these new bands that are kind of coming out in the the TikTok and the SoundCloud era are, you know, they're they're echoing these sounds from 20 years ago. And as a new metal fan, I'm here for it. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Limp Bizkit, I, I've always liked Limp Bizkit. Full disclosure, I was that angsty kid in high school with no friends who just fucking skateboarded all day and listened to angry music as a sort of like cathartic release. So the fact that they're as angry and aggro as they are is probably one of the reasons I like them. And I know all the words to Significant Other. I know most of the words to Chocolate Starfish. And like, fuck man. Like this band was a, uh, a pretty big deal for me growing up. So, you know, it's, it's no secret that I'm always going to jump on the defense of Limp Bizkit. And I mean, hell, we announced that we were doing this thing. And then two days later, Limp Bizkit made headlines once again with that Lollapalooza thing. Fred Durst shows up with his, uh, his little mustache and his like white wig, you know, and he leans into the like, yeah, we're dad rockers now. He leans into that. He's self-aware. And in that there is authenticity. But I think you have to look below the surface to pick that up. Um, you know, I've been I've been rambling a lot, but I mean, some of the things I love about this band is that they they really do merge rap and metal very well. Uh, over the years, they've had a number of guest musicians, everyone from uh, the Wu Tang Clan and Eminem and Snoop Dogg. They've got they've got uh, Emin I said Eminem. Who else? Scott Weiland. Dr. Um, like yeah. just look at look at the people who cameoed on the break stuff yeah. video, right? Exactly. And Seth like those Green, people, Alec Baldwin. <laughs> dude, and those people are still relevant today. And that video was shot in like the year two thousand. You know? Like mm -hmm. that's that's Fred Durst's strength, is that he knew these people were a big deal. You know, even back then when Eminem was still kind of like nobody really knew who he was, he had one good song and but he was still knew. Slim Shady. He was still Slim Shady. No one knew if he was going to be a flash in the pan. But like 20 years on, you watch that video and it's still completely freaking relevant today. So yeah, uh, Limb Biscuit, I'm here for it. So uh, the scores. Scores, yeah, Scott Coates. So I think I'm exactly where I started with this band. I, I give them a three at the start and I come out at a three. I still like the singles I liked. I don't think I can remember the last time I listened to an entire album, and I don't think I'm likely to listen to an entire album. But again, there's there's a half dozen singles there that I really like, and uh, 
I'll continue to listen to and I and I like what they are and I would listen to this when driving to the start of a softball game trying to get pumped up to kick some ass on the field. That's awesome. Is it to me or are you Scott? Sorry. Oh sorry. No, I think I'll it's throw one more in. And there's okay, a new right. Woodstock 99 documentary. The the documentary is so-so, but they cover a lot of Limp Bizkit's performance there and that concert really sums up that kind of I've been screwed over mood every white guy in the audience so if you to me want to get a vibe for that whole time watch that doc all right uh to me um yeah I I'm very similar to you Scott Coates I um I started at a three and a half uh at a five and I'm only kind of slightly because you know it they do they are similar sounding have a similar style uh, I'm with Alan though I I was I'm definitely more of a angst anger speed go now party than anything slow so um i love bands like this so um but i started at three and a half and same thing i ended at three and a half i don't no opinion changed for me uh after diving in i i think you know they are what they are and they're very good at it so um yeah yeah um scott gregory yeah i'm i'm holding strong too because simply because this was a band that i was pretty familiar with and so there wasn't a lot of surprises in store for me as i went through their music uh, I, I'm actually at a four. Like I, I think I'm with Alan in that I was just in that right age range of mentality that when that 99 to 2000 burst of them hit, it just locked me in on them. And then, you know, they haven't had that same level of success, I think, since then. But it's been solid releases and I've enjoyed, you know, the, the music when I've run into it that I haven't really gone looking for them. But having gone looking for them now, uh, I really enjoyed diving deeper into the you know the tail end of their discography there uh and yeah so four and four sweet yeah i started with them at a four out of five and actually i ended at a four and a half out of five uh because mostly because i rediscovered how much i loved three dollar bill y'all i you know i really liked that when i was really young and like skateboarding in church parking lots and shit but mm-hmm. like listening to it again it, it just, it holds up so well. I mean, it's a little bit more of a raw uh, production, but yeah, that, that kind of brought up the 0.5 for me. And uh, yeah, so I, I came out stronger. Four and a half out of five, Limp Biscuit is definitely, I'm that guy. <laughs> I love Limp Biscuit, and I will wear that badge proudly. It sounds like we all did. <laughs> yeah. All right, who's next? Uh, who picked Creed? Scott Coates picked Creed. Yeah, it's interesting. All these bands, they have all been huge, right? And I guess that was part of our criteria. This is the second band from Florida, Tallahassee, Florida. Started in 1994, and they were one of the biggest kind of post-grunge bands of the 90s and 2000s. The sound, you know, has been described as anything from hard rock to alternative metal. They did start out as a bit of a Christian rock band, and they tried to shake that. I sort of forgot about that, but as you listen to the lyrics on the the main singles, you'll get it. Scott Stapp, the frontman, I think he's the guy that everyone thinks about. They sold 53 million albums worldwide in the 2000s. They were top of Billboard charts. Yet in 2013, a Rolling Stone magazine poll, people rated them the worst band of the 90s. So you have fans firmly on one side and haters on the other. Um, They dominated the airwaves in the 2000s again. They have four albums. Last one was in 2012. And, you know, it's tough to argue with those numbers. 10 million copies sold to Human Clay, 53 million albums, a Grammy in 2001. 
they are loved and they are hated. Let's hear what you think of it, uh, Darren. Yeah, um, yeah, you know, Creed, interesting to me, and uh, it's funny, uh, Alan Cross, somebody else who we interviewed on this show not, uh, about, uh, about a year ago now, at the beginning of COVID, um, uh, he just had a, an episode on Christian rock and Christian music, and uh, I just listened to it on his uh, ongoing history of new music. Um, and uh, funny enough, he actually mentioned that Creed actually never identified as a Christian ba- band, although they they were Christian and they kind of kept the cursing and stuff out like that and made it all positive. But they never actually really necessarily wanted. But that's when they first came out. The market uh, that bought their albums first was the Christian market, um, and uh, it's crazy. But uh, I mean, there's a lot of bands like that that have done good uh, with, with that kind of you know Christian model. I mean. What, what does that even mean? It's just like you curse less. And and and, and Alan even used a, a quote, something like there's some kind of rating where it's like God's per minute, where it's like GPM, like how, how often you mention God in your song. So apparently that's a real thing in the Christian uh, music movement. Um, but anyway, that aside, um, I like most people, I don't even think I realized, maybe I found out after that they were uh, Christian. It was just in that time in grunge. And uh, um, yes, I mean, I think the slight against them is, and I, I mentioned this last time about how Limp Biscuit maybe just came out just after Rage Against the Machine and then was kind of maybe seen as being derivative. I think Creed it falls into like, Sounds a kind of a lot like Pearl Jam, right? Like, and again, just a few years later, just slightly after. So had they come out a few years earlier, maybe it wouldn't have been as much. And maybe that's why people hate them a little bit. Um, but I actually, you know, Arms Wide Open and and uh, some of the other songs I really liked. Um, I don't mind them. I, I kind of don't mind uh, his voice. I, I, another, not a slag, but uh, they didn't actually stay together that long and they've kind of gotten back together and split apart and they took a big sabbatical. But I believe they only have, what, four or five albums? Like maybe f- four, four. Um, yeah, so I mean, that's not a big body of work when you're thinking of uh, this band that's like, you know, has had all this success in 53 million or 51 million, whatever Scott said, their albums, like, like, wow. And considering they've only had that amount of albums, but maybe they don't have the breadth. So maybe they're criticized for that. Um, but honestly, they're, they're a guilty pleasure to mine. I, I, I have them on my playlist all the time. And uh, I kind of like, you know, for me, I kind of like my funk soul rap too. And I actually find Creed has a little bit of a funky swing in a lot of their rock songs. Like if you listen for it, you can almost pick out a little bit of like funk and kind of some nice grooves in there sometimes like that you don't necessarily see in a lot of uh, heavier metal and rock. So, uh, you know, I really appreciated that. Um yeah, uh, my own prison too. I really like that song. Like, yeah, uh, you know. So I, I, I didn't hate them, but I can kind of maybe see why. All right, let's uh, fire it off to uh, Scott Gregory. I listened to some Creed this month. It <laughs> hurt my ears, but that was my sacrifice. This, this, I'm, I'm not a Creed fan. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Maybe, maybe we should leave the singing to Alan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I'm not really a big Creed fan. Uh, Come on, man. I'm sorry, but if you look at when two of their biggest albums came out, it was 99 and 2000, right in that that range, right? And um, we know what I was doing, right in that range. I was listening to Limp Biscuit and Raging Out instead of, you know, doing it. Well, yes, that too, guys. But. <laughs> 
But, you know, like, I don't really understand. I think it's the derivative side of things. I think they're like, still. And I was a big Pearl Jam fan. And so I think that might be it, guys, that it's that authenticity side of things again. And I give them props because I love checking out bands' influences, and sometimes a view of that is by who they cover, and they do an absolutely stellar cover of Riders on the Storm by The Doors. And so I have to give them props. I love The Doors. Don't make that face, Scott. <laughs> How can you not like The Doors? Or are you saying the cover? Yeah, the cover, man. Like, there's just certain bands and songs that don't really need to be covered. Well, I, I can grant you that. Is that maybe it didn't have to happen, but it happened and they weren't they didn't butcher it. It wasn't Fergie singing the national anthem. You know, they, they did they did some justice <laughs> to the song here. So, you know, I, I get it, like my sacrifice, uh, with the arms wide open, higher, you know, some of their bigger radio play ones. They're mechanically sound. His voice, you know, individually is okay on it. I can see why they're radio safe and played into the ground. It's just, he feels like a one-trick pony to me. And, and again, he's following on on a lot of really big, strong, grungy, new metal bands that just did anything he possibly could better. And um, I think it's good they only made like four albums because uh, I don't think I could take much more on the radio. Alan, what do you think? <laughs> Fair enough, man. Um, you know, I was I was largely indifferent to Creed. I never really felt strongly about them either way. Uh, I, I probably lean more on the side of liking them than disliking them. But, you know, it was like the songs that hit the radio I heard so many times that it's just kind of like, all right, whatever, you know. And uh, I never really dug deeper into their discography until... We, we did this thing and you know I was I was actually really surprised to, to find that Creed is a lot heavier than I realized like all of the stuff that made the radio you know the singles that they generated were I mean they appealed to a mainstream audience obviously based on their album sales but like the stuff in between those tracks I actually found myself really enjoying like they were a lot heavier I'm actually kind of surprised Creed didn't get lumped in with the new metal crowd more because they were they were prominent around the same time and you know if they had maybe played some of those harder stuff the harder songs as singles they might have actually captured another side of the market a la the angsty teenagers such as myself um and maybe they would have they would have traded in radio plays for you know maybe trade off of fame and fortune for some more credibility or respect because i think it's actually a little bit unfortunate that these guys became a punchline frankly due in large part to their uh ubiquity in all like radio and tv at the time i mean they're talented they're really good they make interesting music uh you know, they just, people got burnt out, and it doesn't help that Scott Stapp does have that sort of, like, vocal warbly thing. Um, you know, it's been done, right? Scott Weiland, Eddie Vedder, the guys from Alice in Chains, they all kind of had that, like, thing going on with their voice. And it's, you know, there's only so much of that you can take. Um, so, I don't know. Also, their album art sucked. I'm just going to say that. I'm a, I'm a graphic designer. 
I, yeah. I think their album art was pretty weak, but agreed. You know, and their songs did start to sound the same after a while. And Darren mentioned too, like their their whole religiosity. I knew they were sort of religious, but like you don't know how religious they are until you dive into the freaking discography and you realize like there is some actual overt religious messaging sprinkled throughout all of the songs. Like, you know, and if that's your jam, that's your jam, but you know. The leader is good. Yes. Yeah, so I don't know. It's, I, I understand for sure why this one is a polarizing pick. Um, for what it's worth, I think Weathered was probably my favorite album of the bunch. Yeah. I don't know. Should we? Uh, let's tally up these scores. Scott Coates. Oh, yeah, we got to kick it over to you. I liked some of their singles, kind of like Darren mentioned, like My Own Prison, Are You Ready, Arms Wide Open. Like, I, I'm still guilty of throwing those on. They're good pump-up songs. It's funny, they're all like a medium pace. Like, none of them are fast rockers. They're not quite slow songs. They're just that, like, kind of slowly bob your head, get pumped up. I like them. And I, I didn't really have anything against them until we started this. And what put me over the edge is actually watching live performances or watching interviews and stuff. And you mentioned the voice already. There were so many bands with that voice. And there's exactly, I think, room for one person in rock. And Eddie Vedder managed to, to really capture that. So I, I, I didn't mind the singles, but then... I, yeah just yeah i don't think this guy can sing i i watched concerts and that way he sings is because he can't sing so anyone can do this to a song and it's just yes. god it's was just that collective soul a bit yeah, yeah. So, i mean also a christian band oh to me, out of all four of these bands, this is the biggest one-trick pony. And they we've mentioned all the other bands that sound like them. Like a front man like uh, Fred Durst, he was the one guy that was kind of cool and has sustained that and maintained a place in popular culture. Everything about these guys was kind of that worst bit of the worst of all that area of music. <clears throat> Watch their videos and you'll see like shirts off, supreme posturing, arms open like clips of them backstage with women just super douchebags lame egos just posturing is the one and it actually made me like the songs i like less so again those pump up songs i mentioned after i just watched some of those concert clips and realized this guy can't sing it's just a technique that he uses and then they're just such cheesy hacks that it actually took me down in my opinion so well, there's still a few of those singles that I think are good singles, like, yeah, Creed is a turd. So let's uh, get into those numbers. Uh, Darren. Yeah, I um, actually, similar to Limp Bizkit, I actually started at three, and again, three out of five, like, uh, I realize they are what they are. They're, they don't have the, the depth and breadth and uh, uh, are slightly derivative of the, the genre at the time. But I, I, do, I do like the songs. I, I do like them in general. So I had a three, started three, and I just stayed at a three for me. So, you know, just an average score for them, but uh, I still kind of like them. Alan. Right, uh, for, yeah, Alan. Yeah, uh, I kind of came in at a two and a half out of five, you know, mostly indifferent, but again, like, I'll, I'll be generous. Maybe it's 2.75 out of five. I liked them more than I disliked them, but I was mostly indifferent. Uh, I ended up at a three and a half out of five at the end of the day. 
mostly because of the stuff that didn't make the radio waves just being heavier and me being who I am and liking that sort of aggressive sound. Uh, that part appealed to me, but Scott Stapp's voice, man, it, it gets a little grating over time. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. I do yeah. think <laughs> he's definitely the weak point in the band, you know? Uh, Mark Tremonti is an amazing guitarist, and I think even in the industry, people recognize that. So if you like Creed minus Scott Stapp, check out Alter Bridge, because it's basically the same dudes with Miles Kennedy as a singer, who is by far, in a way, a much more talented singer than Scott oh, yeah. Stapp. And they are way yeah. less preachy. Yeah, even flow. Oh, that's a different band. Sorry. What? Oh, <laughs> hey, that's blasphemy. Scott Gregory. Yeah, so uh, yeah. I can so my score won't go higher. It's added to, <laughs> and I came in pretty much despising them. Uh, I didn't like listening to them all the time on the radio. Uh, I was really quite resentful of it. Uh, I thought I was going to come out of this at a one after being forced to listen to the extended uh, discography. The only thing that saved them was that I needed room to hate another band even more. And so I've kept them at two to reserve the sanctity of the one that may be upcoming. Spoiler alert. Okay, and for myself, I came in at a 2.5 just because I didn't really have anything against them and I liked those singles and I came out at a 1.5. It's just the douchiness of Scott Stapp that really sealed it for me so 2.5 to 1.5 i would play this if i was hosting a youth group church picnic so we have one more left uh, scott gregory what was your band you took on yeah so nickelback they're uh, a local product from hannah alberta just a little ways out of calgary where a lot of us are from um they're also one of those rare Canadian bands that successfully made the jump from uh, Canada to the U.S. and achieved some commercial success. And by some, I mean 50 million albums sold and still going. Uh, Canadians love to hate other Canadians that are successful, especially internationally. So that might be feeding some of what's going on here. Uh, but they're still relevant. They're still in the studio as we speak. Uh, and they're a little hard to pin down genre-wise, I think. But generally, I'd say we could put them into a new metal, post-grunge, and then a popish, radio-friendly, hard rock range is where I think I saw a lot of people flattening them out. Yeah, they might be one of the longest-tenured, most-hated bands of the modern age. Uh, but to their credit, they have kept that relevancy for the past two decades. I've been on the hate bandwagon since about the start, so I'm glad to have a chance to examine that feeling and see whether it was warranted or not. But I'm going to throw right back to Alan and see what he liked and disliked about them. All right. So uh, unlike you, Scott, I've always sort of defended Nickelback as a band that does not suck. Because I like most of the songs I've heard, you know, but just like all the other, well, I guess like, Creed and Dave Matthews. I never really dove too deep into the rest of their discography. Um, how I went through all of these albums as we were going was I listened to them chronologically, like from their first release up to their most recent release. And Curb was Nickelback's first release. If you started on Curb... Wait, did I say first? I forget what I just said. Curb was their first release. Uh, and if you started with that and didn't go any further, then you have absolutely every right to conclude they suck because that album was horrific uh the chad's vocals sucked 
to be fair, Chad's vocals aren't great at the best of times, but just the production value was shoddy. The drums were tinny. It was probably a self-funded album way yep. back in 96. So, you know, I'll give them a break. It was actually $2,000 to produce it. They borrowed $4,000. They spent 2000 of it on Magic Mushrooms and the other 2000 on producing the album. Now, Sweet. actually, I like it more because Mushrooms are the best. Uh, but no, it sounds, it sounds like it's worth every penny of that $2,000. Um, you know, and, and like, credit where credit's due. Like, they were probably a freaking garage band back in 96. No one knew who they were. So, you know, pr production value aside, but... I don't know, man. Um, I, I found as I went through the discography, their music did get better and better. I think they probably, for me anyway, they peaked around 2008 with the Dark Horse album. Uh, but there, I think 2005's All the Right Reasons album was really good too. I don't know. I mean, they're they're good musicians. They're talented musicians. They know how to write a very catchy song. They know how to write, in particular, party music that people who are in a particular mood would gravitate towards. And that's kind of their shtick, you know? Like, they've kind of written, like, three songs a hundred times. Um, you know, and that's that's going to be a detractor for a lot of people, I think. Like, their songs are... They follow a formula. The formula absolutely works, and, like, you can quantify that through their record sales and their, uh, you know, tickets to all their shows and stuff. Um, but man, like it, it kind of all sounds the same. I don't know. Uh, and then I will also touch on this thing that you mentioned as well, the, the Canadians hating other Canadians thing. People outside of Canada and maybe people within Canada as well may not know this, but we here have uh, a government agency called the CRTC. It's the Canadian version of the FCC. and our radio and television are actually mandated to play at least 35% of Canadian content. And so when you've got bands like Nickelback, who kind of are a crossover, they can, you know, they got songs that could be played on like a late rock station, they got songs that play on the heavy rock stations and the alt rock stations, like you're gonna get overloaded with 35% of your listening hour as Canadian content and Nickelback just, it works. It works. So um, you, you just you hear so much of it and you get sick of it. I get it. I've been rambling. Uh, Darren. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Thanks. Um, I, yeah, I'm kind of with you, Alan. Um, you know, hey, I will admit um, I, I struggle with pop in general and just radio play. And uh, again, I have some points later and this is all leading into them is and, and you just talked about it. Yeah, like anything that gets fucking overplayed on the radio, you're going to hate because you're just like, fuck, like I can't hear this anymore. I'm just done with it. Uh, Taylor Swift, I'm done with you, you know. Um, and, and it happens to pop more than anything. Um, but uh, really, um, in general, like over the years, as I heard a Nickelback song, I just fucking bop along to it. Yeah, they're great. Like it is formulaic. Of course it is. Um, but is, is Nickelback like this now generation, the millennials and stuff, is this their ACDC? And 
I think it it it, it well could be, uh, or a kiss or something like you know. There's so many bands like that, and you know it, it sounds sacrilegious now. Oh, you can't make fun of ACDC. You know, so many people love them, but like same fucking thing, man. Like they just were really good at those you know those types of songs, and you know kudos to ACDC from uh, uh, changing uh, singers after the death, <laughs> uh, you know. But um. You know, back to Nickelback. I, I just think you know they're yes, they're pop oriented. Yes, it's a, a little bit uh, uh, you know produced at times, but they're they're freaking tight. And uh, I mentioned uh, earlier, I you know, watched a few live concerts because like it's good. You want to watch them live. Are they playing to a track? Can they actually pull it off and duplicate their sound? And you know what? They fucking can. They're 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 a tight band. They they are super tight. I've heard other musicians stand up for them too, and and like you know, respected musicians that will come up and say like, no, like they're a great band. Um, I think they might be a little bit of a victim of a change in the sound of rock and stuff. They they kind of came in, and then you know, stuff was kind of moving, but they kind of stayed in that 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 kind of zone they stayed in their zone and that's what a good band does they have their sound and they're sticking to it you know i i agree you know like you know hey does kroger have the best voice now you know not, he's not the best vocalist or best singer by any means but he gets it done and he he they're tight live they're tight um you know a crazy stat and it's funny i'm plugging alan cross again who we interviewed go back and listen to that one but uh there's another uh recent episode on the ongoing history of new music where he talks about uh, the biggest bands from the smallest towns and uh um nickelback by far he said in that when he did his research he was like by far is like the most successful band from the smallest population ever in the history of the world like um it's not even close um that that, that what they did uh only the beatles have sold more albums in the united states uh than any other non-us band only the beatles like that's fucking crazy like like you know, they they are they are loved. They are fun as fuck, and they are loved. And you might hate them, but it's just because you've heard them too much, and you're just mad at life. You know, let it go, people. Nickelback's a good band. Scott Coates. Yeah, I kind of came in without any strong feelings about Nickelback. I remember I bought their Silver Side Up album, which was the one that kind of made them known to everyone. And I think three of our four bands here, I mean, leaving Dave Matthews out, all peaked at a similar time and they're they're a bit victims of that sound style then there was a real like mid 90s late 90s post grunge like sound that came out and it seems like every band i don't know if it's because i don't know if it's because talent was limited and they locked in in a particular sound and style but nickelback does that so i've never really gotten the the reason for the extreme hate because i don't think i've read stories about those guys being douchebags or doing anything particularly bad They've sold a bloody bajillion albums, right? And they sell out concerts all the time. Uh, to my understanding, they can still sell out stadiums. Their their sound is have fun, pour me another drink, let's party kind of thing. Um, it's super slick. And it does remind me of like Mutt Lang and Bob Rock produced rock albums and that those two producers helped bands get their biggest album, but then they get locked in a sound. Example, Dr. Feel Good, Motley Crue, the one I think of as Metallica Black Album, biggest album, but man, once they got that sound or like Def Leppard, Hysteria, or Shania Twain, like 
certain producers help a band get a sound and then they just don't change. And I feel like Nickelback's that. They have that one sound. Um, when I heard Burn It to the Ground, I hadn't heard it till we did this. And two things, I don't live in Canada, but popped into my head. One, I could imagine the start of a Flames game. Your Calgary Flames and everyone coming out to burn it on the ground or Cowboys last call. I don't know if it's been used, but for whatever reason, those two things came into my mind. Darren and I did uh, text about the concerts and I got to say, if they are not using backing tracks, they are an incredible band for life because I've listened to three concerts now and they pull it off. They sound tight and you listen to most bands try and play a concert, they cannot hold it. And and all three Nickelback concerts I listened to were freaking tight. So I, it actually made me gain some more respect for who they are. How about you, Mr. Yeah, Gregory? think about how much people love Motley Crue. I, I oh. challenge anybody to watch a live Motley Crue. Oh. God, Vince Neil, I, I love Motley Crue, but yeah. God, horrible. They stink. Even Van mm-hmm. Halen, who I love, Diamond Dave can't sing that well. And Axl Rose is another one. Like listen to a concert from guns and roses like the last decade like oof not very tight yeah, yeah. how about uh, mr Gregg- it's long enough to to become the the villain i used to be a big guns and roses fan but then i saw them when they came to calgary and it was already time and now it's been another 15 years yeah. so well i'm i i think i can bring you back onto the the hate side here scott so what i'm gonna do though i'm going to start i'm gonna say a couple nice things because i think it's important to to recognize sometimes I'm, I'm gonna do it darren i'm gonna do it uh yeah they have chops i have to admit that right they they have uh they have roots as being a metallica cover band which uh is kind of interesting because they in concert cover sad but true and it is tight and it is great uh highly recommend checking it out much better than any of their own music other than perhaps leader of men which i think is one of the greatest songs made i don't know why it hits me in the right place and i think it's because there's an acoustic version of it that's out there and it sounds just as great as the the album version so the fact that they can carry it not only you know uh studio wise but then also live and then acoustically that impresses me uh i dig it but as much as i hate to admit it the duet with josie scott on the spider-man soundtrack hero uh that's that's a guilty pleasure for me it's stuck permanently in my brain uh, it's right up there with I Don't Want to Miss a Thing by Aerosmith and Why Can't This Be Love by Van Hagar. You don't want to like it. You don't want to hear it in your head, but it's there. Uh, and yeah, maybe it's because I really like Josie Scott uh, from Saliva. And so he becomes a built-in chaser for Chad on that song. And, and I just get enough not Nickelback in that song to actually enjoy him. Uh, I actually like the heavier sound on the first two albums, Alan. I, I understand, you know, it is, it's raw, but that works for me on one level. I give them a pass on that, especially after I found out about the Magic Mushrooms. But let's dig into why these guys have to be the most hated band with good reason. There is literally a PhD thesis from Finland talking about why Finland hates Nickelback. It's actually quite good. It's like 14 pages. I read the whole thing. Uh, It is called Hypocritical Bullshit Performed Through Gritted Teeth. 
Authenticity Discourses in Nickelback's Album Reviews in Finnish Media. And it actually goes deeply into uh, authenticity and how they just don't have it, that the music reviewers don't give them any cred for it uh, in either their music or actually their performances, ironically enough. They think it's entirely too performative that even though they're good musicians, uh, they're playing too hard of a part. And when you look at new metal, when you look at post-grunge, and the things that those genres stood for, not the commercialization, the authenticity, the pain of the people involved, these kids from Hannah raking in millions of dollars uh, just aren't cutting it. And it didn't help them that their original um, uh, label, Roadrunner Records, was actually a metal label. And they got brought in as like a hard rock band, uh, quote unquote, and they got so much of the uh, attention that, that fans thought it was drawing away from the other actual metal bands on the label and they became quite resentful of it. And so they had to wear that uh, and just too polished and too commercial. Uh, when I was watching some videos of them, I looked on the recommended side and I, I was watching Nickelback burn it to the ground. And the next recommended song was Chop Suey by System of a Down. So I clicked through and I listened to that and it was amazing. And the song recommended after that was Show Me How to Live by Audio Slave. And that too was amazing. And both of those songs made me think, wow, Nickelback is really derivative shit. And uh, if you pan through the audiences and the videos for a system of a down and then Nickelback, you can tell that they're... Um, their target audiences, right? So some of the down were all a bunch of greasy people in black shirts dancing around and Nickelback were like, uh, you know, blonde haired girls in white t-shirts, <laughs> you know, of mouthing every word, right? And, and yeah, <laughs> and Audio Slave, to bring them back up, Chris Cornell and Tom Morello, we've brought up both of their bands already. Maybe not Soundgarden, but we definitely uh, brought up Rage. And they managed to transition into a more commercially oriented band, no problem, because they carried their authenticity over with them. They didn't have the problems Chad had with being a Chad, no pun intended. Uh, and, you know, they were living in their own shadows, uh, which might have been harder even than Nickelback because they had to live up to their, their own standards, right? What didn't help them, I think, and I'm on the tail end of this here, 2003 Comedy Central's Talk Crowd with Colin Quinn, Brian Posehn, who I love as a comedian, who eventually goes on to write the Deadpool comic series. Uh, he actually says, when they're talking about violence, he says, no one talks about the studies that show that bad music makes people violent. Like, listening to Nickelback makes me want to kill Nickelback. And they, they turned that into a commercial for the show that ran for like half a year, like all throughout Comedy Central, right? So that, that started the butt of the joke for them. Uh, and then All the Right Reasons, which you mentioned, uh, Alan, as one of their best albums, Rockstar in 2005, they licensed to a British furniture commercial in 2008. And it's the cheesiest commercial ever. So it was like instantly uh, everything they were talking about on Rockstar came true in that commercial. And that's probably what led to the rock and bottle to the head in the Portugal hard rock festival of 2008. So I, you know, in 2013, this is the second last one. The Flood Aid concert for Alberta. Nickelback was on stage and then the feed was cut because 
Nickelback made Telus turn off the live feed for people supporting at home as part of their contract so that only the people at the charity concert could actually watch them perform. This is for a tragedy that happened in their own home province, like an hour away from their hometown. So what a bunch of scummy douchebags. Um, but on a lighter note, I think what the big thing was is that they really just came in right at the start of the rise of the internet meme. And they were perfectly positioned between a group of metal people who hated inauthenticity and then internet gamer types who also hate inauthenticity. And so they just became the subject of a brand new art form of memeing that carried them through for the next 10, 15 years uh, of hate uh, and the internet never forgets. So with that in mind, I'm going to go, oh, I, I hear, I hear a microphone. Is someone itching to talk, Darren? Oh, sure. I mean, we're just on the scores now, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, is there a rebuttal? I thought you were coming with a no, rebuttal. No, 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 you were, no, you were no, loving no. pretty hard on Chad there. So. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if you threw it at me first, but I'll go. Yeah, uh, yeah you know, really, I started uh, Nickelback. I started at 2.5. Um, you know, I was in the middle. I was kind of just like, I always liked them, but just kind of in the middle. I uh, didn't really think much. But honestly, this month, diving into them more um, and just you know, watching the live and, and really, you know, thinking about what they, they've done uh, and the accomplishments. Yeah, it's poppy. Yeah, it's derivative, but they've nailed it. And, and uh, I'm not going to slate for it. I actually went up to a four. No. So I, I, yeah, I've gone from a 2.5 to a four. I have they're, mass respect for the band. No. Yes, they are what they are. They're bad uh, But people. they're fucking good at it. Yeah, you know, that's bullshit, man. I bet you that Telus thing, there's no fucking way that's the band. That's no. like the label or something, for sure. Maybe for sure. if they were a Christian yeah, band yeah. Hey, like the other not, ones, not, I would believe you. Hey, but. no Trump politics here, only proven facts. Yeah, I don't know. No. All right. Hey. I, I, sorry, <laughs> Alan or Scott? I can't remember who's next. I'll jump in. So, yeah, I started at a three with them. I think I've only really listened to Silver Side Up the whole album, but... I come out higher to 3.5. I, I just, I can't find too much hate. And you know what? You mentioning ACDC, like I love ACDC. I'm not putting Nickelback anywhere in the same sport or league. But these guys have their sound. They have their shtick. And I think they do it pretty well in those live concerts won me over. I think I might listen to a whole Nickelback album just to check it out. And I would definitely play this when drinking beer in a parking lot before a sports game. How about you, Alan? Yeah, man. I'm about to burn a couple of bridges, burn it to the ground. Uh, that, that, Darren, you nailed it, man. This is, this generation's ACDC. I hate ACDC. I fucking can't stand ACDC. I've heard, I've heard their songs too many times. I just, if I never hear another song from them, I'm cool with that. But I like Nickelback. So I'm probably like the equivalent I'm the millennial who hates ACDC and just like other people hate Nickelback for the same reasons. Um, Scott, here's a rebuttal for you. I think there is a fundamental difference between liking a band and liking a band's music. And I've heard some unsavory things about the character of the band uh, and some of the band members specifically. That doesn't really necessarily take away from the artistry for me. So. Uh, I, I came in with a 3.5 out of 5 for Nickelback. You know, I like Nickelback, and some of their songs are straight bangers. 
uh, I ended up at a 3.5 out of 5. I didn't really move one way or the other. You know, it's just, it's fun shit. It's the kind of, like, it's the kind of stuff that you listen to um, when you're cracking a beer, you're out with your boys, whatever. I mean, yeah, I don't know. It's just good, fun rock. And I think they, uh, they were a product of the late 90s post-grunge sort of hard rock scene, just like three of the other bands we talked about tonight. Like, they all kind of hit their peak in 2001, and I think society just kind of got over it. They burnt out on that sound, and then we veered off in another direction, and so we look at these bands that are sort of like carrying this torch of that sound at that time with a little bit of disdain retroactively, but if you go back and visit the discographies of all of them, I think they're uh, they're all pretty solid. I think they still hold up. So, uh, yeah, I think that's probably all I have to say. Although I am surprised, Scott Coates, that you've never heard "Burn Into the Ground" before, because I yeah. think that might be their best song from he my perspective. He didn't react when you made that joke. I was so sad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I I came in at about a two. Uh, a little bit of indifference to them, but I am now firmly at a one. Ouch. Uh, I, I take oh. your point, Alan. I, oh. You know, like like so there is sad. liking music and, and disliking the band. I don't think you necessarily have to judge art by its creator, but I think when we talk about the genres that this group operates in, that's just so key to the enjoyment of the music for me. I... I just don't believe them. I think they're bad people, and <laughs> and uh, and I think they make bad music, partially because of that. I can't deny their musicianship. Uh, I sent them an email asking them to please become a Metallica cover band again, and if they take that suggestion, I will happily go to one of their concerts. But other than that, uh, in the box with Nickelback. Okay, thanks, Scott. Like, hey, you know, we can't all like the same bands. And, you know, on that, and I've been mentioning throughout the episode, I, I've kind of put together a few thoughts on what, why I think people in general dislike bands. And, and uh, I'll go through them quickly here. I, I know we're getting a bit long, but, you know, the first one is personal opinion. No matter what, like, it, it, music is a personal thing. And no matter what, it's going to come down to you're going to like some music you're not going to. Like, I still struggle with Radiohead, R.E.M. Like, they're obviously great bands. Um, I struggle with Dave Matthews. Everybody else liked them. Um, you know, too derivative. Obviously, that's one. Like, of course, bands that come in have their own sound and are very distinctive. Um, really, you know, cause this, you know, whole movement in music that can make a big difference. And but a lot of bands are kind of derivative of one another. Um, and you know that like pop music is very much like that. So you know I think people struggle with that. Uh, too progressive for the time. You know maybe it's just out too early and people just aren't ready to hear that sound right now. There's a lot of albums like that. Like I know we did Jeff Buckley, which I actually I didn't really like that uh, review personally. But I think Jeff Buckley is a good example of somebody that like that music was too progressive for the time. And I I think people just didn't understand it 
um, and another one that's come up a few times is is the peer pressure or the meme or the you know follow the joke and and uh, you mentioned about Nickelback I did hear that that the Comedy Central that that was that joke that started kind of the hate to Nickelback and then it kind of spiraled then it became kind of cool and funny to make fun of Nickelback so I think uh, you know and that's just an example not necessarily Nickelback but I think peer pressure or you're around people like oh I hate Nickelback Nickelback's not cool you're like yeah I hate him too I hate him too and you know a lot of people are just followers and they will just do it and so if a strong personality says that they will do it um uh, another good one and alan you you mentioned about the crtc and how we have to play all the canadian music here it is true like if i heard one more fucking justin bieber song and punch myself in the face and you know we love you know we love our canadian artists but uh, like they get overplayed here in canada a lot so i think those types of artists especially here but nickelback was everywhere get, can get overplayed um, and you know, and, and really, you know, there's sometimes you're just trying to be the cool kid and it's similar to the peer pressure, but you just don't like a band because everybody else does. So you're just like, well, Oh, everybody likes Nickelback. Well, I'm not going to like Nickelback. Right. Like, so, uh, I, I think, I think those are good points, you know, around that. Does anybody have anything else to add before we kind of, uh, close it out here? Yeah. I just, I think these guys, the the similar vein for three of the four bands that we talked about today was that they all kind of peaked in popularity around 2001 and i think we were seeing a sea change as far as people's musical tastes anyway as you know we had a full decade of alternative rock and grunge and then following that with post grunge and there was a rise in new metal and everything people wanted to hear something different and you know that's where pop music started to really come into play right boy bands were picking up steam and the spice girls from 1997 and stuff we were seeing the changes of the tide these three of these bands anyway that we talked about tonight when they hit their peak probably in 2001 it was just an oversaturation for a tired audience i think and that really kind of killed it i i'm positive that that probably had a lot to do with it right people just didn't want to hear the same freaking songs same sounds anymore. <sighs> yeah, that's all I had to say about that. That's that's. I think they are all products. Or uh, there's a there's a term there. Like yeah, they're, they're I, greatest I was thinking of them. failure. Yeah, I was thinking they were like echoes of uh, of the bands that had come just before them. That unfortunately, people had just to use your word oversaturated themselves on were ready for something new they were having this shoved in their face uh and uh, a backlash ensued and so you have some great musicians that were probably pushed in some ways to be formulaic to what the last one was uh and they they caught a little bit for it so i'll just end with something alan cross said to darren and i when we chatted with him last year was respect all music listen to what you love so this has been fun. This has been cool to do something different. Hope you guys enjoyed listening to it. We will be back real soon with a pick for September 2021 coming from Darren. Until then, ciao. Thanks for listening and exploring with us. We'll be back real soon with another pick and critique of albums that matter here at the Sonic Collective.